Welcome back to Let's Get Haunted with your hosts, Nat Strawn and Allie. But before we get into this week's episode, we have to insert a quick disclaimer here. If you're new to the show and don't know how it works, you should know that the first 15 or so minutes of every episode, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less, is just Nat and I talking to each other, shouting out our sponsors, shouting out our donors, and doing some housekeeping. And if that sounds like something that doesn't interest you, that is totally fine. You can just expand the show notes and the very first sentence in all caps will say, skip two and then a timestamp and you can skip to that time at any time otherwise welcome to the intro welcome back to episode 163 of let's get haunted and we are back after the craziest october you could ever imagine welcome to november natalia for those of you who missed it somehow we put out eight episodes instead of four in the month of october the amount of work that we put into that was insane. it was also though not just the the many episodes we also did collaborations on a lot of our episodes is this like the moment like when you're climbing up mount everest and you're like getting into the death zone and it's like all the signs are like you're gonna die you should turn around like is this the part where we should be like we should just like scale back or is this the part where we're like no we have to get to the top you know i don't know that's what i'm saying it's like it feels like we're dying (laughs) when you feel like you want to throw yourself in front of a bus you've just got to keep going you know just put your head down don't look at that bus It's trying to tempt you. It's a succubus. Right. Oh. And it's trying to wow. get y- your shit. And you know what? You've just got to say no. And you've just got to keep going up Mount Everest. I feel like until the- you probably freeze to death. But if you don't do it, Natalia, then you'll always wonder what if. Or you die and then you're like, you become a ghost and you're like haunting Mount Everest and you're wondering what it would be like if you didn't. <laughs> you know what? That reminds me. I feel like the real winners of paranormal podcasts are ghosts and spirits and cryptids because they just get free publicity. They don't have to yep. do jack shit. They've been doing a shitty fucking job at, at being popular their whole lives because yeah. there's no photos. There's no social media pages. They have no like structure they just show up or don't you know and i just feel like we're really doing the lord's work for them so you know what round of applause slow clap for <laughs> sir mothman the spirits and the yeah. spirits because they're the ones that have really really capitalized off of the past like eight years of paranormal podcast growth the mothman has made out like a fucking bandit because not only does everyone want to fuck him (laughs) but also he does whatever he wants people have festivals in his honor they make merch with his face on it they have statues with his like like sculpted ass (laughs) yeah and (laughs) everybody wants him do you feel like though like okay is this me being too contrarian do you feel like mothman is kind of becoming like pizza or mustaches were for like millennials like i feel like everyone's like oh my god i want to fuck mothman and it's it's like just become this kind of saying that's sort of overused i'm gonna be contrarian to your contrarian then you be contrarian (laughs) back okay this we're having a fake discussion right now guys um remember when you were in debate class and they made you argue about why chernobyl was good because i'm still traumatized for that I got stuck in a group. The teacher assigned us Chernobyl. The disaster? And we had to be, yes. You had to had argue to be, that the disaster was good? 
I don't want to get into it right now. It was very traumatic and we had literally nothing we could say. I think that it's good that Mothman is becoming mainstream because then it creates a joke that everybody can be in on together. I've like been hearing that bullshit my whole life. Like, oh yeah, like don't gossip and like everyone just be friends. But I also think this is me being contrarian and fake as well. (laughs) Um, But I also think that like we have, or at least I have, I can speak for myself. I have a, a primal urge to eliminate weakness. And sometimes that comes out in the form of like being clicky and not letting people in and like having inside jokes. And it makes me feel safe and it makes me feel good and superior. <laughs> and and uh, I don't, yeah. So sometimes when I find out that all my likes are now just like normally likes, it makes me feel less than. However, I really like Taylor Swift and that was that was some healing, some part of my teenage years. And so, yeah, maybe I have grown. I don't know what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> no, let's keep going back and forth being contrarian. What is my response to that if this were a high school debate about Chernobyl? Um, I would probably say that the elephant's foot is pretty cool, <laughs> all things considered. I would also... The radioactive uh, uh, yeah. like pile of debris that looks like an ele- elephant's foot where if you like get within... Yeah. Uh, vision distance of it you'll like have cancer immediately and die yeah it also really taught us a lot (laughs) about what happens when the worst thing you can imagine happens um Um, it brought you closer together as a group because you had to debate it (laughs) well it brought a lot of people closer to god because they died so in some (laughs) ways that's also could be a positive i don't think that's like a normal experience like i don't think like, I think that teacher that did that is not okay. Like, because I don't, <laughs> does anyone else have that experience? And if you guys do, if that's like a normal debate thing, I want to hear what terrible things you had to debate. But be careful. Don't get us censored on social media. Like, you Okay. Know. Now, now that I'm like really thinking about it, I got like three hours of sleep last night. Now that I'm like really thinking about it, I think what we were supposed to be arguing was for or against nuclear power. And then somehow the opposing side kept bringing up Chernobyl. And then the teacher was like, you need to make responses about why Chernobyl, like make an argument about why it wasn't a big deal. Because like you're supposed to, he's like, the art of debate is such that it doesn't matter whether or not you believe what you're actually saying. It just matters how persuasive you can be. And so we were like, yeah, we like that. There's sludge (laughs) (laughs) that's now creating five-legged deer. We think it's good. Mm. Diversity. Wow. That's beautiful. You guys, another silent round of applause for Allie and her debate team for arguing (laughs) that Chernobyl actually had some merit to it. (laughs) It sure was fun, wasn't it? Um, And traumatic. And that's that's also what our podcast is. We talk about things that are fun and traumatic. It's true. Um, Natalia, we have some housekeeping to go over. Oh, God. Do you want to talk to the good folks listening about different pieces of merchandise they can expect to be seeing before the end of the year? In fact, there might already be some up right now. We don't oh, know yeah. because it all depends on when the stuff arrives to us. Super exciting stuff. Uh, we got some stickers, which is so 
epic because everybody loves stickers. And if you don't, you should just buy a bunch and convince yourself that you do. Uh, we also have a super limited edition pen coming out. I don't know if you guys remember the Haunted Amulet Ooh. pens. Um, How could anyone forget? That was the best pen. We have something else that's coming up that's going to rival it. So another limited edition pen. And we also are working on some artwork for some perhaps wearable merch. We did a poll. A bunch of people said that they would really like a sweatshirt. We also are trying to do some ornaments for Christmas. The people said they wouldn't do it because they, they don't think <laughs> we're a real business. They were like, do you have this whatever code? And I was like, no. Oh, I've been talking with a woman who lives in the UK. The United Kingdom <laughs> through Etsy, and she makes these really cool rings. Um, and I worked up a deal with her. She's gonna do oh. some wholesale rings to me, and uh, which I'm super excited about. But also a little nervous about because we're doing the transaction out of Etsy because we want to save some money. So we're doing it on another thing. And she seems like a real person. She seems nice. So we're going to just trust her. We're going to go for it. But you guys, these rings are really, really cool. I'm really excited for you guys to see them because I think they're really unique. And I also think it would be really cool for like the haunties to have rings. Like if we all have like a special little uh, thing that we put together or you just see another person wearing it. And you're like, oh, you're also a haunty. And we also got hacked the other day. Somebody was trying to buy tickets to Knott's Berry Farm. I think that they were just, they knew that, or they, they knew that we were like LA based. So they were trying to buy something that so wasn't going to like set off the fraud alert. But now the fraud yeah. alert is like through the roof and I'm trying to plan my wedding right now. Planning a wedding is annoying. Paying for a bunch of shit that's really expensive for no reason is annoying. And then you just keep having to think about, wow, why is a fucking napkin cost this much? And then you just start having yeah. cold feet and you're like, maybe marriage isn't for me. I don't know. Well, you're talking to the wrong girl because I am <laughs> the definition of cold feet. Hey, haunties, it's Allie here. And today I'd like to tell you about a cool new paranormal podcast featuring Rachel Dratch. Comedian Rachel Dratch gets a little bit woo-woo, discussing stories of the unexplained, the eerie, and otherworldly with her funny friends in her new comedy podcast, Woo Woo with Rachel Dratch. Along with her co-host, Irene Bremis, Rachel invites guests to share stories they may only tell a trusted pal who will not judge. Psychics, spirits, astral projection, check, check, and check. Sure, you may think we live in a world where there's a logical explanation for anything out of the ordinary, but after you spend some time with Rachel and her pals, you might have your doubts and find that you too are woo-woo. Join Rachel, Irene, and friends in a comedy podcast that turns the mysterious into a lively conversation among kindred spirits. Search for Woo Woo with Rachel Dratch wherever you're listening now, or check out the link in the show notes. And now back to your regularly scheduled haunting. But you know who has the key? to our hearts our donors we would love to give a very special thank you to the donors who donated in the month of november and on a side note before i shout out these good folks just like to say thank you so much to everyone on the patreon for yeah. sticking with us 
through the end of September and all throughout October because Nat and I weren't able to post as much as we would have liked because we were gearing up for the most insane month of recording Mm -hmm. I think we've ever had in our lives in October. And so we just really appreciate everybody who was supporting us regardless of how much content we were able to post. Sometimes we post more, sometimes we post less. Anyway, thank you so much to the (laughs) following patrons. And if you would like to hear your name shouted out on a future episode, all you have to do is head over to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted where you can sign up for tier one or tier two tier one is five dollars a month and you have access to at a minimum all of the listener stories that are filmed you can also subscribe to tier two which is ten dollars a month and you get access to special behind the scenes footage sometimes we do vlogs sometimes we have extended cut of intros sometimes we have um, extended cut of different interviews you just never know what we're going to post up there but you have to take the risk yeah it's like our social media we don't have time for like personal social media anymore so like anything that i would have posted to my instagram story or snapchat or twitter or whatever i just post to patreon now and i think ali is the same way mm-hmm. so we love to have yeah thank you so much to joe p hannah m sydney s Lori, kindred and amber sav h Corey. Robaz Blogs, Candy DK, Jordan B, Chillin' in a Sweatshirt, Charles C, Lingonberry Hibiscus, Allison M, Raina, Greg A, Rebecca S, Megan N, Michael T, Moose Giggles, Sean S, Felicia G, Kelly H, Keese P, Kat, Megan D, Jennifer W, Leipo, Lipo, Anthony J A, Chameleon, Charlie I, Cameron B H, Mark R, Andy, Lexitronic, Juliet H, Gracie G, Kathy L, Sarah R, Kato L, Rue Loved, Jackie L D, Lana V. Veronica W, Rachel T, Alyssa B, Libby G, Blood Type Long Black, Bree R, Dan the Blacksmith, Olivia S, Noah B, Spencer G, Zenobia H, Mumble, Manny of the Mad Mansion, Jeb, Josie J, Leanna BC, Chance the Reaper, Tazwar K, Honey, Melinda Z, Rachie Face, Natasha M, Sophie M, Sophia M, April May, Jordan L, Savvy, Savy, Red Emma, Emily W, Christian P, Hugo A, Joe W, Megan M, Taylor E, Ephraim P, Ellen Blueberry, Eric G, Samantha H, Abby J, Joaquin E, Smokin' Void, Anna K, Nick, Daisy F, Stuffy, Soleil, Yuzu Fruit, Spooky Sush, J.M., Taylor B., Emily Joe B., Kara B., Kara B., Crystal C., Camille, Jenna M., Ross, Rass, Richard O., Ann D., Kelsey L., The Ratmans, Marianne M., Julia C., Jose P., Rhiannon R., Chloe L., Chloe L., The Goose, Patch, Felony Melanie, Ariel G., Ariel G., 
Sophie C, Stephanie N, Natasha, Huang LM, Day, Chanel B, Benjamin S, Shania Z, Jackie B, Jennifer P, Christopher M, Mellow Mellow 82, Cassidy M, Stacy S, Cherry D, Abby, Jules the Ghoul, Hannah VR, Ruby V, Joey, Anne Marie T, Alonzo, Piper Joe D, Carrie L, Troy R, Melody M, Drew G, Joy B, Marina W, Cassie R, Allegra B, Julia K, Bro Anal, Cool Blues Mama, BDS, AQ617, Brittany S, Jamie L, Sophie C, Alfredo S, Jennifer I, Sunshine H, Kelsey H, Nikki B, Kelsey K, Ed B, Chatty Waddy the Puddin' Patty, Mia, Maya, Gay Nosebleeds, Kendra, Archie F, Mary Elizabeth A, Meg R, Abby T, Alexis S, Amelia, Ellie J, Billy R, William A, Minnie W, Emily, Danny T, Metal Pineapple, Maris G, DiGiorno Flocka, Ghost of 7-Eleven, Molly Cat, Parker LC, Chucha Bajoa, Sierra B, Talia D, Talia D, Jacob, Julian C, Mike K, Julie C, Shara, Shara, Jordan B, Clara K, Clara K, Penny C, Nikki, Nicole without the H, Eunice A, Laura the Lauren, Risen Wales, Kelsey C, Cassidy M, Tresca Evers, Nick, and Alan F. Thank you all so, so much for your support. You can expect a lot more content from us on the Patreon coming up, including an extended cut of this intro. So if you're interested in listening to a 30 minute intro instead of a 10 minute intro, go ahead and go over to patreon.com forward slash let's get haunted. Are you ready to buckle the fuck up? Oh yeah, I am buckled up like a pilgrim on uh, Pilgrim's Day. Welcome haunties to our first episode of November. And while spooky season may be over for the rest of the world, it's always haunted year-round with us. For today's episode, I wanted to try something a little bit different, something we've never done before, and read off a controversial piece of modern folklore that the majority of our listeners will most certainly be familiar with. On August 10th of 2010, a message board user going by the name Orange Soda posted a story so spooky and so convincing that it quickly went viral around the world, with users still debating today whether or not the story is real. While Orange Soda has never been identified, the narrative he posted to the now rebranded Wiki message board continues to live on in infamy. Natalia, Have you ever heard the story of the Russian sleep experiment? Okay, I really want to hear this story because I feel like I've seen like scary fucking pictures that go along with like a Pinterest post about the Russian sleep experiment like all the time. But I've never actually figured out what the Russian sleep experiment is. Like it'll be... It'll be like Google Images will show you like a fucking fucked up like Momo like weird smile. I don't know. It's always that same picture of like it it looks like it's been super over edited of like a skull with like really big eyes like and it's like making this weird grin on its face and it's like 
the Russian sleep experiment. And I'm like, what the fuck was this experiment? And then I maybe saw something where it was just like they forced people to stay. It, it like It's always like a blurb like, uh, the Russian scientists like forced people to stay awake for a long time and the results were insane. But it's like clickbait and I'm like, where can I find it? Like, how do I find what it was? Like, it'll just always like, you know how clickbait is. Like, you click oh, it. Oh, of course. And then it's like you can't find the answer to your question because there's like a slideshow with a bunch of irrelevant information. And you're like, where the fuck is the Russian sleep experiment? Why am I learning about <laughs> Finnish polar bears right now? Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, every day for this podcast, I make risky clicks that just lead to viruses and pop-ups. Um, so I just sent Natalia the two pictures that are most often associated with this Tale. God, I hate it. I'm hiding those behind my desktop in a place I can't see it. It's so scary looking. But at this point, it's just like the terror has worn off because I've seen it so many times. It's like an old friend. It's just now gross. I'm just excited to know the background story with it. Like, yes. is that actually related to the Russian sleep experiment? So glad you asked. I won't be answering it now because first I have to tell you what the Russian sleep experiment is. But if you guys would like to see key images from this week's episode, you can head over to at Let's Get Haunted on Instagram, where I will have a medley of spooky, possibly creepy pasta. I mean, we don't know yet because we haven't gotten to the end of this episode, but uh, possibly real, possibly not real photos that are it's associated yeah that are associated with the russian sleep experiment so natalia are you ready to hear what the sleep experiment story is i'm so ready right now here we go part one the russian sleep experiment russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant they were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so that the gas didn't kill them, since it was toxic in high concentrations. This was well before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and 5-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows built into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water and a toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised falsely that they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were all monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents from their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days without sleep, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were and started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other at all and began alternately whispering into the microphones and into the one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of the experimenters by turning over their comrades, the other subjects there in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected that this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. 
he ran the length of the chamber repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce an occasional squeak. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it, or rather, didn't react to it. They continued whispering into the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream as well. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart, smeared page after page with their own feces, and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. So did the whispering into the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, since they thought it impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five people must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they said they would not do to get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives that they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. They announced, We are opening the chamber to test the microphones. Step away from the door and lie flat on the floor or you will be shot. Compliance will earn one of you your immediate freedom. To their surprise, they heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond. We no longer want to be freed, said the voice. Debate broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more responses through the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the stimulant gas and filled with fresh air, and immediately, voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones to turn the gas back on. The chamber was opened, and soldiers sent in to retrieve the test subjects. They began to scream louder than ever, and so did the soldiers when they saw what was inside. God damn it. What was inside? Like, this is where I always get on the internet. What is it? What is it? What is it? Four of the five subjects were still alive, although no one could rightly call the state that any of them were in as life. The food rations past day five had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subject's thighs and chest stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber, blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate across the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by their own hands and not with teeth as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. 
the abdominal organs below the ribcage of all four test subjects had been removed, while the heart, lungs, and diaphragm remained in place. The skin and most of the muscles attached to the ribs had been ripped off, exposing the lungs through the ribcage. All the blood vessels and organs remained intact. They had just been taken out and laid on the floor fanning out around the eviscerated but still living bodies of the four what subjects. What the fuck? What the fuck? The digestive <laughs> tract of all four could be seen to be working, still digesting food. But it quickly became apparent that what they were actually digesting was their own flesh that they had ripped off and eaten over the course of the remaining days. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. The subjects continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded that the gas be turned back on, lest they finally fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers even died from having his throat ripped out by one of the test subjects. Another was gravely injured, having his testicle ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by a different subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives, if you count the ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. Holy shit. In the <laughs> Holy shit. We're not even done yet, dude. Dude, I... Hold on. Am I understanding this right? The the test subjects, when they came in, from their ribs down to their pubic bone, all of their, like, digestive organs, like their, their large intestine, their small intestine, their colon, their stomach, all of that, spleen, whatever, had been taken out of their body and just fanned out around them, like a like an art installation? You know, it's really up to your own interpretation, and I'm glad you asked that question. We'll talk about some questions that people have had when they've dissected this story. Some people say that the organs, that some of the organs were were completely removed and laying on the ground, and then the uh, intestines were inside intact, but it's just because they had ripped off so much muscle and skin that it was visible to the people that mm. were looking in. And then other people think, no, they had pulled out their intestines, but not ripped them from their body. So they were just laying on the ground next to them. And um, you could just see it working, digesting food. <laughs> I'm not okay right now. Are you guys listening to this okay? Like, what the fuck are we listening to right now? It, oh my god. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured, and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than ten times the human dose of a morphine derivative, and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of one of the doctors. His heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out, to the point that there was more air in his vascular system than blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes, struggling to attack anyone in reach and just repeating the word, more, over and over, <laughs> weaker and weaker 
until he finally fell silent. The three surviving test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begged for the gas, demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the facility had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative that they had given him to prepare him for the surgery. He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist, even though the weight of a 200-pound soldier was holding that wrist down as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had triple the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle to not be subdued. Most of them were from the force of his own muscles that he had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords were indeed destroyed, and he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. He shook his head yes when someone suggested, reluctantly, that they try the surgery without anesthetic. Wait, he wants someone to operate on him without anesthesia? So this is a sleep experiment and none of them have slept in almost 30 days. And now that the, and none of them want to sleep. they don't want to sleep for whatever reason. You just told me one of the guys, they were like trying to put his organs back in his stomach or whatever. And he was like, no, I don't want to do it. And like ripped through like a leather being held down by like a 200 pound shoulder or something. And then it didn't take more than normal amount of anesthesia to put him down. But once he was once they like put him under he died he died on the operating table yeah the second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming his vocal cords destroyed he was unable to beg or object to the surgery and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him he shook his head yes when someone suggested reluctantly that they try the surgery without anesthetic and did not react at all for the entire six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs and attempting to cover them with what remained of his skin. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it shouldn't be medically possible for the patient to still be alive. One terrified nurse assisting in the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times while being operated on whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of drastic importance, the surgeon held a pen and a pad of paper towards the patient so that he could write down his message. His message was simple. Keep cutting. <laughs> this is so this is so insane. I'm so sorry. Like whoever whoever wrote this is so unwell. And I like hope I hope they're okay. <laughs> like 
The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well, although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operation while the patients laughed continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon again trying to escape from their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking repeatedly to be given the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they would want to be given that gas again. Only one response was given. We must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced, and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting a determination as to what should be done about them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goal of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, instead saw potential and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. The researchers strongly objected, but they were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to continue to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all of his might, first left, then right, then left again for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he were repeatedly suffering from brain death before returning to normal. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut at the same moment his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of someone in a deep sleep, then flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brainwaves showed the same flat lines as the one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes, then turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed what? his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed, as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room in a panic. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you, he screamed, pointing his gun at the man strapped to the table. What are you? he demanded. I have to know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? 
the subject asked. We are you. We are the madness that lurks within all of you, begging to be free at every moment in the deepest part of your animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's heart and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out his final words. So nearly free. The end. What did we just read? That was so graphic. And so, you know what it reminded me of? Once I get this out, I can be serious. But the whole time I was listening to it, it was just like there was too many elements, you know? Like there was just too much drama. And it scared me at points. And then other points I was like, "This, there's no way this is real. Like, can you imagine like one of our boomer parents or something reading that and then being like, oh, yeah, like thinking that was real and then just being like, yeah, they did this experiment in Russia on these poor people and um, there were, you know, a lot of casualties suffered and you know what I mean? I just, but then, I don't know. How is it that I've never found that? Because I've tried to find this Russian sleep experiment before. You said that was on a Wikipedia The story was originally posted to a wiki that later became creepypasta.fandom.com. Originally, I guess the website wasn't that because I've read stuff on that website before. I guess it used to be just like a message board where people would post interesting things they had read, scary stories, some fictional, some non-fictional. And that was that user's only post. And it went absolutely viral. People tried to figure out who this guy was. They could not figure out who he was. And people started debating, could this be a real story or is this a creepypasta? It went so viral that there were articles written about it in the New York Times, the New Zealand Herald. (laughs) And then there was also a Snopes entry about it, which for people who don't know, Snopes is a website that all they do is just debunk stuff. So they'll fact check anything that anybody wants to know the answer to. People can submit and be like, hey, there's a story I read or this politician said this. Like, we need someone right. to fact check this. Snopes does you that. You can go on Snopes.com and you can type in, like, did Britney Spears really live in a haunted house? And it'll be like, this is true. Or no, this is fake. And it'll tell you why. Wait, did she live in a haunted anything. house? She did. What? I'm going to do an episode <gasps> on it. It's pretty fucking crazy. Oh, shit. Can we get her on the show? Okay, wait. Okay, I'm I'm going too far off track. Try to get her on the show. She lives in Thousand Oaks which is not far from our studio. You you try to get her on the show. Just like go on her Instagram. Like I feel like she would do it. She has comments <laughs> turned off. I don't know. I'll try to DM her. I doubt she probably gets like a bajillion DMs a day and it would just get buried. But I'll try. Yeah, but they're all they're all like, "Oh, we're on your team." None of them are like, "Will you come on our haunted podcast and discuss That's your true experiences?" Oh, great idea. It's going to be a good episode, you guys. So get excited. All right. Part 2. Real or fake? 
like I said, this went viral. People wrote articles about it. Snopes did a fact-checking article about it. And Snopes determined this is just a work of fiction. Quote, This account isn't an historical record of a genuine 1940s sleep deprivation research project gone awry. It's merely a bit of supernatural fiction that gained widespread currency on the internet after appearing on Creepypasta, a site for short stories designed to unnerve and shock the reader, in August of 2010, end quote. I mean, if you subscribe to this theory that we haven't talked about yet, though, that the thing sleeping... It, like like we all have some sort of like thing inside of us that's uh, like an entity and it can only come out when we don't sleep then maybe snopes is also on team sleep like, sleep <laughs> yeah yeah you know what i mean like it's a conspiracy is what i'm saying yeah like they're gonna hey, say who's to say it's not real because maybe there's some maybe there's some overworked intern working at Snopes at that time who wasn't sleeping and their sleep demon was controlling them. Look, we all hope to God this isn't real, but for the entertainment <laughs> purposes, I'm going to go into just looking at both sides, right? So why could right. it be real? Why might it not be real? On the points against this being a real story, many people who commented on that original thread pointed out that it seems like the author made a mistake because he says there were only five people in the experiment but then he goes into like two died one died on the operating table one died doing this but then by the end there's still three remaining so you would it would have to actually be six people i'm not going to go back and do the math but if you go back guys and you listen technically there should have been six people in this experiment unless there's something that all of us are just not understanding so that is inconsistency number one. But then people who believe that this could very well be a true story have said, okay, so what? So some guy is repeating a story that he heard um, and then oh, accidentally right. put five instead of six and then deletes his account and never returns. So even if he wanted to make a correction, he wouldn't be able to. Like that alone doesn't mean that it's not real. The question is... Why did this story gain so much traction online if it was just a piece of creepypasta fiction? Well, you may be interested to know, Natalia, that the USSR actually had a lengthy and well-documented history of human experimentation. I'm going to start off with the least graphic and move on to more and more disturbing examples of Soviet-era human experimentation. So trigger warning if you are sensitive to medical mistreatment, racism, animal abuse, xenophobia, and gore, I encourage you to not listen any further. Okay, let's start with the milder transgressions, which are definitely still terrifying, but not quite as gory as what we're going to get to. Established in 1921, the Poison Laboratory of the Soviet Secret Services was a secret facility maintained prior to the dissolution of the Soviet Union with the goal of manufacturing and testing a variety of poisons to use on humans. Often hidden in the meals and drinks of unsuspecting victims, poisons including mustard gas, ricin, digitoxin, curare, and cyanide were all administered on people kidnapped off the streets around the world. Some of the most prominent victims of the Soviet poison laboratory included communist leaders, union leaders, politicians, scientists, 
spies, religious leaders, critics of Soviet leadership, Nobel Prize winners, and authors. The lab, which was known as Laboratory 1, Laboratory 12, and Chimera, meaning the cell in Russian, had the goal of developing poisons that were odorless, tasteless, and effective for use against the country's enemies. Once developed, these poisons were transported anywhere enemies of the USSR could be found, with assassinations by poison occurring as far away as Germany, and examples of kidnapped experimentation victims occurring as far away as France. After the fall of the Soviet Union and the death of Joseph Stalin in 1953, current and former heads and supervisors of the labs were all either executed or given long prison sentences. While Laboratory 1 was formally closed in the 1950s, some news sources postulate that the lab was reopened in the 1990s and still remains active today. Looking back at our original narrative of the Russian sleep experiment, it's easy to find overlap and similarities with the real story of Laboratory 1 and the fictional laboratory in the Russian sleep experiment creepypasta. In the creepypasta, a poison stimulant gas is used on political prisoners to keep them awake and document how the human body will react. And indeed, the real details of Soviet poison experiments do include the use of gases and other nerve agents. In his book, The Perversion of Knowledge, The True Story of Soviet Science, Dr. Vadim J. Bierstein writes of the testimony of two scientists who claimed to have participated in the administration of the poison called curare. Quote, the scientist observed the following symptoms, loss of voice and strength, muscular weakness, prostration, labored breathing, cyanosis, and death with symptoms of suffocation while retaining complete consciousness. Death was excruciating but the man was deprived of the ability to shout or move while retaining complete consciousness. Death of the victim ensued within 10 to 15 minutes after a sufficient dosage. End quote. Bierstein goes on to describe curare, saying, quote, It's a blackish resin-like substance derived from tropical plants. It is used by some South American Indians for poisoning arrowheads. Curare acts by arresting the action of motor nerves. During a trial against 34 members of the Social Revolutionary Party in 1922, two defendants testified that they had used bullets poisoned with curare. End quote. A different scientist quoted by Bierstein, who testified during a different trial in the 1950s, reads as follows, quote, I was present during experiments at the laboratory. Four Germans were the test objects. An injection of curare into blood was used for testing. The poison acted almost immediately, and the men were dead approximately in two minutes. End quote. In a completely separate testimony given in the 50s, another scientist revealed, quote, We brought to the laboratory people of varying physical conditions, decrepit and full of health, fat and slim. Some died in three to four days, while others were racked with pain for a week or more. End quote. Notes confiscated from the poison lab revealed the symptoms of a poison called carbilamine colon chloride exhibited by victims as follows. Quote, According to the witnesses' testimonies, after having taken the preparation, the victim changed physically, seeming to become shorter, 
quickly weakening and becoming calm and silent, end quote. Another witness to the human experimentation named Mikhail Filimonov testified during an investigation into the lab in 1954, saying, quote, I witnessed some of the poisoning tests, but I tried not to be present at the experiments because I could not watch the actions of poisons on the psyche and body of humans. Some poisons caused extreme suffering. To conceal shouts, we even bought a radio set, which we turned on during the experiments. End quote. Unfortunately, many of the original reports and results of these acts of Soviet human experimentation were destroyed or otherwise lost before they could ever be made public. Because of this, we may never know the true extent of them. Could the Soviets have also been experimenting with nerve gases similar to the allegedly fictional account of the Russian sleep experiment? We may never know. To answer your question, no, I didn't know that. I'm not surprised, though, because I feel like that's like a very sort of popular trope in um, like pop culture, especially especially in like Western pop culture. Like you go see a movie, uh, like an American made movie, and it's like, oh, the Russians are bad and they're doing like secret experiments that are just like fucked up. But I thought that that was like literally just a like xenophobic trope. I didn't know that there was actually weight to that, like historically. I mean, I think it could be both, right? Like, you can acknowledge that this was a real thing, but then if you go up to, like, a random Russian person and you're like, don't poison me, like, yeah, that's <laughs> fucking racist and xenophobic. The reason that I said, like, it, I thought it was, like, a popular trope was because I really liked the show called Archer. I don't even know oh, if it's course. still on yeah, anymore. I, actually, yeah. I've been re-watching it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do they, is it, are they still making stuff or no? It's I think right? I heard that they're on their last season right now, but I, I only watch whatever's okay. on Hulu, so I could be wrong. Yeah, in college, I loved the show called Archer, so much so that I named my dog Archer, and it was a show, an animated show for adults that was about a bunch of, uh, like, secret agents. They would all often talk about how there was, like, Russian secret laboratories that had, like, fucked up poisons and, like, weird human experiments. And so I just thought that that was, like, part of the show I didn't know because there was all kinds of stuff on there that wasn't real like there was Archer had like a girlfriend that was a robot that had like a vibrating <laughs> vagina you know they like went to space and like hit you know what I mean like there was yeah. fake shit in it all over the place so it was like I didn't know what was real and what was fake that is so haunted like that story you told is haunted but it's even more haunted to think about what the KGB did to people and human experiments. That's so scary to me. And there is another element of this that made people say, well, yeah, this this could have been true. And that is the other forms of human experimentation. Natalia, did you know that a Soviet biologist once attempted to create a hybrid of a human and a chimpanzee? <laughs> Wait. Wait, this is real? This is real. How? It's Ew, was he like making people have sex with monkeys? So like, glad you asked. Um, This is really, really, really bad. Let me introduce you to a man named Ilya Ivanovich Ivanov, born in 1870 in the small town of Shigri, Russia. Ivanov would grow up to study science and eventually become a prominent biologist in the 1910s and 1920s. Ivanov's experiments began innocently enough as he focused on perfecting the concept of artificial insemination. Working at a variety of state-funded veterinary laboratories, Ivanov began to focus on horse breeding in particular. 
According to Wikipedia, Ivanov proved that through artificial insemination, one stallion could fertilize up to 500 mares instead of only 20 to 30 by natural fertilization. The results were sensational for their time, and Ivanov's station was frequented by horse breeders from many parts around the world. While the progress Ivanov championed through artificial insemination certainly helped to pave the way for many good and practical purposes, including helping more couples struggling with fertility to get pregnant, his experiments would soon take on a dark and more sinister turn. Seemingly bored with breeding horses, Ivanov soon sought to create a hybrid superhuman by combining human DNA with chimpanzee DNA, with the goal of creating a Hu-Man-Z. In an article for the publication New Scientist, journalist Stephanie Payne describes this truly horrifying moment in history in her article entitled, Blasts from the Past, the Soviet Ape-Man Scandal. Payne writes, quote, In February 1926, Russian biologist Ilya Ivanov set out for Guinea in French West Africa, where he planned to perform one of the world's most sensational experiments. Ivanov was an expert in artificial insemination and had used his groundbreaking methods to create an assortment of hybrid animals. Now he was going to try something even more radical, crossing an ape and a human. His trip to Africa was expensive and its purpose highly questionable, Yet the Bolshevik government not only sanctioned it, but also financed it at a time when few Russians were allowed to leave the country. It was the story with everything. Secret papers, an evil Soviet dictator, and a zealous zoologist hell-bent on breeding a creature that was half man, half ape. When details of Ilya Ivanov's attempt to create an ape-human hybrid emerged in the 1990s from the newly opened Russian archives, they prompted a rash of lurid headlines. Ivanov became known as the Red Frankenstein. His proposed liaisons were invariably dangerous. There was even the suggestion that he had been ordered to breed super-strong, hairy warriors for what The Sun in London dubbed Stalin's Mutant Ape Army. Yet Ivanov's efforts during the 1920s to create an ape-human hybrid had been anything but secret, according to Alexander Etkind, a Soviet-born specialist in Russian history now at the University of Cambridge. Ivanov's project was a sensation at the time and generated almost as many headlines as it would later on. But when no ape-man materialized, the fuss died down and his research was forgotten. Some 60 years later, scholars reconstructed events from scattered letters, notebooks, and diaries held in assorted government archives. At the start of the 20th century, Ivanov was internationally acclaimed for his pioneering work in artificial insemination. And, having perfected his methods, he was keen to see how they could be applied. His first big project was aimed at improving Imperial Russia's bloodstock, using sperm from the best stallions. Before long, he was pondering the possibilities of hybridization with artificial insemination. He reckoned he might be able to create novel types of domestic animal by crossing closely related species. Soon, he had produced a Z-donk, a zebra donkey hybrid, 
a Zubron, a European bison cow cross, and various combinations of rats, mice, guinea pigs, and rabbits. In 1910, he told a gathering of zoologists that it might even be possible to create hybrids between humans and their closest relatives. At that stage, Ivanov was simply speculating, but a decade and a revolution later, he was making plans to put that theory into practice. In 1924, he put his proposals to the government. Despite the disapproval of the scientific establishment, Ivanov ultimately got the go-ahead and the funds to mount an expedition to Africa to collect apes. Documents show that the decision was pushed through by leading members of the Bolshevik government. In February of 1926, Ivanov set off. His first stop was Paris, where he won enthusiastic support of the directors of the Pasteur Institute and the promise of access to the chimps at its new primate center in Guinea, then part of French West Africa. He reached Guinea in late March, only to discover none of the chimps were mature enough to breed. He would have to return later in the year to capture some chimps of his own. Ivanov passed the summer in Paris, where he spent some of his time at the Pasteur Institute working on ways to capture and subdue chimps. The idea of an ape-human hybrid was both shocking and fascinating. Was it possible? Were humans really that closely related to apes? What would the results be like? And what were the Soviets up to? In November, Ivanov returned to Guinea, captured his chimps, and with considerable difficulty, eventually inseminated three of them. By now, he had a second experiment in mind, to inseminate women with chimp sperm. Knowing that no local woman would agree, he planned to do this under the pretext of a medical examination, but the French governor forbade it. None of the three chimps conceived. Disappointed, Ivanov headed home with 20 chimps to stock a new ape nursery in the subtropical Soviet Republic of Abkhazia. He knew now that his best chances of creating his hybrid was to find Soviet women willing to carry half-ape babies in the interest of science. In the event, only four chimps made it to Abkhazia. And so while the nursery set about acquiring more apes, Ivanov looked for volunteers. At least five Soviet women volunteered, but although the nursery did get a hold of an assortment of apes, they never flourished. And by the time Ivanov was ready to proceed, the only adult male left was Tarzan, a 26-year-old orangutan. Ivanov pressed on until fate dealt his project a fatal blow when Tarzan had a brain hemorrhage. Quote, the orang has died. We are looking for a replacement. Ivanov cabled the woman he had lined up to receive Tarzan's sperm. More chimps arrived in 1930, but Ivanov fell victim to the widespread purge of scientists and was ultimately exiled to Kazakhstan. He was released the next year, but died soon after. So, why did Ivanov want so badly to produce a baby that was half-ape, half-human? And why did the Bolsheviks encourage him? There is a possible motive that Ivanov's research was part of an ambitious plan to transform society. The high-ranking Bolsheviks who backed Ivanov were intellectuals who saw science as a means of realizing their dream of a socialist utopia. Quote, Politicians could change the political system, nationalize industries, and turn farms into vast collectives. But the task of transforming people was entrusted to scientists, says Etkind. 
The aim was to match people to the socialist design of Soviet society. One way to do that was through positive eugenics, using artificial insemination to speed up the spread of desirable traits. A willingness to live and work communally, for instance, and to get rid of primitive traits such as competitiveness, greed, and the desire to own property. Quote, There were many projects aimed at changing humanity, Etkin says. Ivanov's was the most extreme, but if he succeeded, then that would show that humans could be changed in radical and creative ways. End quote. So I'm going to show you a little interview. This is so strange. I'm also like, what was he going to do once he gets this this thing? No, like, were they just going to raise knows. it? Yeah, nobody you even know? knows. Well, like, what if yeah. it was really human? Like, what if it, you know, was like begging not to be euthanized? What if it was like a baby? Like, what if it looked like a little tiny baby? And then what are you going to do? Be like, oh, I'm going to... Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. I think Here, I, I have like a this. very... Yeah, I need to, I need, I don't know. This, I'm really proud of you for choosing this episode because I feel like usually I choose very problematic <laughs> topics. <Yeah. laughs> and I think this is really great. I'm really interested and I really like this for you because you're doing a great job. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I just sent you a Discovery UK series okay. of interviews. It is a 10 minute long video. Put it on two okay. times speed and then let's watch it together. Ivanov is an adaptive kind of guy and he realizes that there's an element of artificial insemination that could appeal to the new regime. In 1910, at a zoological conference in Austria, Ivanov had speculated that it might be possible to inseminate a female ape with human sperm. But under the czar, such experiments would have been blocked by the Orthodox Church. Now in 1924, at the age of 54, Ivanov reached out to Stalin's regime. From the first stages of my scientific research, I tried to arrange experiments in crossing humans and apes. I assumed that the Soviet government could help me in the interests of science and propaganda. The founding fathers of communism, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, had been heavily influenced by the works of Darwin. In fact, the leader of the new Soviet Union, Vladimir Lenin, kept a small statuette of an ape contemplating a human skull on his desk. In November 1926, Ilya Ivanov and his 22-year-old son, Ilya Illich, arrived by ship to Konakry, the capital of French Guinea. Traveling into the interior, they captured three female chimpanzees. A few weeks later, 10 more chimpanzees are delivered to Konakry by local hunters restrained with nets, ready for the forced introduction of human sperm by artificial insemination, concerned that local staff might protest if they realized what was being attempted, Ivanov performs the insemination, assisted only by his son. The injection took place in a very nervous atmosphere and in uncomfortable conditions. The threat from the apes, the work on the open ground, and the necessity to conceal. In the rush to perform the procedure, Ivanov was forced to abandon his normal, slow, careful approach. It very quickly becomes apparent that Ivanov can't really uh, accomplish the task that he sets out to do. He's not able to produce the human-ape hybrid by inseminating female chimpanzees. Driven by the need for secrecy, 
Ivanov had been in a hurry to complete the artificial insemination. What amounted to a brutal sexual assault likely caused considerable stress to the female chimpanzees. Ivanov had been funded by the Soviet government to produce a human-ape hybrid. They expected results. If you were to attempt to hybridize humans and chimpanzees, you, you have two options, basically. You could either inseminate a female chimpanzee with human semen, or you could inseminate a human female with chimpanzee semen. Uh, so he then uh, turns around and, and thinks, okay, maybe we can do it the other way around. Maybe we can impregnate uh, human females with sperm of chimps. Ivanov is imagining essentially doing this under the, the cover of darkness uh, without actually telling the women that he'd be impregnating. His hope is that he can perform the insemination on unsuspecting local African women under the guise of conducting a medical procedure. The French governor worries that the local population may discover what Ivanov is up to. The doctor stated that the governor objected to carrying out the experiments at the hospital. He has categorically banned doing the experiments in the hospital without his permission. Ivanov now has no choice but to gather his apes and return to the Soviet Union, hoping to continue his work. Well, first of all, I don't believe that that guy didn't try to artificially inseminate those women unsuspectingly after the French government told him no. I think he was just like, he just did it anyways. If he was like doing it under the cover of darkness with just his son or whatever, I don't see any reason why he would need the government's permission to do something like that. Like he just seemed like he would just do it anyways. Yeah, that was a crazy fucking video that dude was definitely a psychopath but my point in telling you these horrific experimentation which by the way because i know someone's going to point it out of course the soviet union was not the only country that was doing unethical human experimentation the united states had the tuskegee experiment japan had unit 731 i think it was mm -hmm. yes unit 731 and those could be their own separate episodes. My point in bringing up specifically the Soviet experimentation with mustard gas and poisons on prisoners and the weird fucking dude that's yeah. trying to make a <laughs> human Z hybrid is to show that there were stranger than fiction human experimentation yeah. projects taking place in, in the, the early Soviet 1900s Union. in the Soviet Union. So yeah. that leads some people to say, because most people thought this was real when they first read it, right. which is why it went so viral. And then later people be like, how could you think it was real? It's posted on this website called Creepypasta. And they're like, yeah, but originally it it wasn't called creepypasta, it was called something else. Like, whatever the case may be, that is why people have thought, and some people continue to think, this could have been real. Maybe it's an embellished version, maybe it's a fictionalized or editorialized version of some right. sort of thing they were doing, but there were all sorts of horrific, insane, fictional-sounding yeah. human experimentation going on during this time. Well, also, too, like, they talked about in the video how during the Bolshevik res revolution, they executed the czar and his whole family. Like, I, when I was researching one episode, I can't remember if I told it or not on the podcast, I read about this execution of that family, and it was fucked up. Yeah. Like, we're talking little kids. Like, there was, like, toddlers. There was, like, 10 and 11-year-olds, and they, like, took... 
this whole family and lined them up against a wall and shot them. And that was not that long ago. And so if, you know, looking at something like that, super inhumane and just fucked up, like I could just see, you know, something like that happening, like the Russian sleep experiment, I guess. Maybe it was just told in a way that was like so edgelord that it's kind of like lost some of its credibility or believability. You know, like the his mouth was curling into a smile yeah. as they were doing the surgery. Like who's to say? That's what we always say on this show, and we just don't know. And I just don't know, guys, but I do know this shit is fucking whack. This is, yeah. like, insane, crazy. But I also just feel like it's such an iconic piece of modern folklore, <laughs> this um, Russian sleep experiment. Like, I don't know anybody who hasn't at least heard of it in passing. Maybe they haven't heard the full story, but they've heard of it in passing. And so yeah. I wanted to to bring it to you today because, first of all, because um, I did need a little bit of a break from how insane October's episodes were, but also yeah. because it's it's just like straight to the point haunted, which is what I really yeah. like about our folklore and urban legend episodes. Sometimes you need there's like no a history. Sl- right. There's no slow buildup to something. It's just like, and then they were locked in a dungeon and then they were ripping apart their clothes and they fucking ate each other. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it was for me. Like, usually, like, I need some, like, historic foreplay. Yeah. Yeah, to get me in the mood. You know what? I'm a mature woman, you guys. (laughs) It takes a while to get everything up and going. The worst fucking (laughs) stories ever. (laughs) I mean, in recent memory. But, but I think that's also part of it, right? Like the sleep demons or whatever you want to call them were like, we're, what's in you? The part of you that you shut away, that, that you don't want to believe, that you try to get rid of with your sleep. And it's true. It's like all of these themes that the story presented are things that I am uncomfortable with, like human experiments, keeping people locked up against their will, imprisonment. Um, just murder, straight up, <laughs> point blank murder. Uh, that one, the one guy in the end shot someone in the face and then shot someone in the heart. And also surgery. I don't like surgery. No. I don't, you know? Certainly not. Um, don't like chimpanzees yeah. either. Sorry, guys. I know, like, right. sorry, Jane Goodall, um, but, like, I don't want anything to fucking do with a chimpanzee. Um, and it's what gross. I mean by that is they're... You know, I just want them to live away from me. I don't want us to Mm -hmm. even be in the same plane of existence because chimpanzees, I've read too many stories where they rip off people's faces and dicks and balls and hands and feet. And like, (laughs) I don't want to be anywhere near that. Oh, I forgot about that part of the story about how the people just ripped someone's ball off. They ripped off a soldier's ball. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. With his teeth. Which is like, is that even possible? Like, are the gonads like separate things? Like, could you rip off just one? Isn't it just like a bundle of of cords or something? And if you guys were wondering whether or not creating a human Z could even be possible, um, most scientists say yes. It probably is possible um, because we share a lot of DNA. And in fact, in some countries right now, in China and in the U.S., and other parts of the world, there are already human-animal hybrids. Now, they're not to the point of, like, Mm -hmm. a monkey, because obviously monkeys are, like, very, very close to humans and have personalities and shit. It would be more like, um, oh, we're we're injecting um, 
you know, human stem cells into a like fetal pig so that we can um, make it so we can plump, pump human blood through a living pig and then that will help with like um, generating organs that can be transplanted into humans um, so that like less people suffering from horrific diseases will will die because there's obviously like a lot of people don't donate their organs. That would be a separate episode. I would love to do an episode on chimeras and what they are and which ones exist and whatever. But I then also <laughs> fell down a terrible terrible uh conspiracy theory rabbit hole that we're not going to get into but it was basically a lot a lot of people think that the chinese government is currently doing human animal experimentation akin to the human z well natalia would you like to do our sign off i'm scared right now (laughs) like i I don't how am i supposed to go on like i just feel so uncomfortable right now like there there was no resolution to that let's resolve it do you think that the story of the russian sleep experiment is true or do you think it's just a creepypasta i think that story as you told it is a creepypasta like for sure but there was a seed in that story a paranormal seed in that story that i hung on to that i think might have some truth to it somewhere in there and that was what that person said like as they one of the um people who was being experimented on said like right before they got shot in the heart where they said that they were (laughs) they were that the part of you that you try to suppress, like that can't survive sleep. And it's an interesting concept because, you know, you do get hangry, you get tired, you get cranky when you're um, tired. I know because I have a toddler and he goes fucking full ham right before he falls asleep. It's kind of weird. Like they get like an extra burst of energy before they fall asleep. Like they're mm-hmm. really trying to fight it. And, um, I don't know. I just wonder, like, is that the sleep demon? Like, are we, like, conditioned as children to go to sleep? Because, like, our ancestors in the past knew that if we didn't sleep, these bad little sleep demon things would come out and we would start ripping apart our organs and, like, doing weird shit for no reason. I don't know. Like, why was that one guy just screaming? Okay. (laughs) Well, I wasn't going to bring this up, but just quickly, there was a guy. So the guy that holds the world record for longest time without sleep is this guy, Randy Gardner. He is still alive today, I believe. And he was born in 1946. He's from San Diego, California. And in December of 1963 slash January of 1964 at age 17, he stayed awake for 11 days and 24 minutes, breaking the previous record of 260 hours. And to this day, he still suffers serious cognitive and behavioral changes. Now, did he rip himself apart? No. Did he murder somebody? Wait, why did he no. do that? Just to win. the He was 17. He just wanted to see if he could. I mean, imagine that the Russian sleep experiment premise is based on a 30-day period without sleeping. Yeah. I No, sleep is really, really important. I know this. I'm actually... So my dad has been having like a lot of trouble with sleeping, and so he does these sleep experiments. This is something that's been going on our in his whole um, adult life, and it comes and goes in kind of waves, but it's been really bad lately. And it actually reminds me of a story that we read on our last list 
listener stories episode about the girl who has like the crazy sleep um, stories where like her dog barks and that's how she knows that it's a dream or not a dream. So my dad has these crazy stories where he's like, it's similar to her. Like he thinks that he's still, he thinks he's awake, but it'll be like a bad guy is coming or like Mm. a demon's coming or something like that. And he's trying to fight the demon or fight the bad guy off or protect his family or whatever. But he's like doing it in real life and so he sleepwalks and and he like can hurt himself because he'll do crazy stuff yeah so my mom like has to wake him up or whatever so he's been doing all these sleep studies because apparently a precursor to parkinson's is like really vivid crazy nightmares oh i didn't know and so i didn't know that either i don't understand the connection so someone else who knows more about it feel free to let us know but so he's been doing these sleep studies and they like hook him up at night to like all of these different little electrodes on his head and all this stuff and they did brain scans and they're like we can't figure this out because your brain scans look totally normal you look Mm. like you have a very healthy brain but yeah your sleep is is uh something strange about it but my dad will try to ask them questions and they won't answer him because it's like part of this double blind study so he like can't know what's happening but um i just you know it's something that we i take for granted of just like being able to sleep and you know, the story just kind of reminds me of like, and, and, and furthermore too, the guy who stayed up for 11 days that you were just talking about and couldn't sleep. It reminds me that this stuff is like real, like that is hell to not be able to sleep, to have insomnia. There's been few times in my life where I've had insomnia and it was really fucking, it was terrible. I think we do need sleep to, to fight off the, the demon or whatever it is that's in us. So like, and so, and, and was this, Russian sleep experiment real? I don't know. Probably. Did it go down like this creepypasta? Probably not. I will also say that sleep deprivation, not to this level of the creepypasta, but sleep deprivation has also been used um, on prisoners of war for like centuries. Yeah, as a form of torture. And the Geneva Convention, when it was established, actually banned sleep deprivation specifically interrogation tactics which involve physical force such as beating stress position deprivation of food and subjection to cold or hot temperatures are prohibited methods which are more subtle but have a harmful psychological effect are equally prohibited sensory deprivation sleep deprivation isolation humiliation music and light control use of a phobia and environmental manipulation are also prohibited this whole episode has just like brought up so many things that i like don't ever look into because they're just too haunted they're very haunted if you guys have anything to add um surrounding sleep deprivation sleep disturbance uh human experimentation any rabbit holes you'd like us to dive down go ahead and leave a comment at let's get haunted on instagram and maybe on a day on a rainy day where i'm feeling like i can emotionally handle all the terrible (laughs) atrocities humanity has committed maybe i'll look into it maybe i won't but you got to take that risk leave a comment natalia would you like to do our sign off sign off Every single thought that I have is unacceptable. <laughs> Hold on. Let me let me think. Uh, BRB. Gotta go sleep. Bye. Bye. Bye.